Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Zam, this is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Jeff Gorman and I are back again with a talk about the pricing of materials. With the dramatic price fluctuations of materials over the past year, I'm sure you've seen them, we wanted to share what we see shops doing as pricing strategies, as well as talk about ways automated quoting makes these easier and provides a mechanism to actually implement them. There is a lot of mentioning of paperless parts here, mea culpa, but that is because how materials can be handled in automated estimating is one of the reasons I co-founded paperless parts. Proved it rapid, this is a game changer that the automation of the cost gathering of materials and implementation of robust pricing strategies is far superior than the quoting methods spreadsheets and the ERP systems offer. So here we go. Jeff, good to see you this morning. Good to see you, Jay. How's it going today? Excellent. I listened to a, it's not a podcast, a short YouTube video this morning on how and specifically electronic manufacturing is moving back to the U.S. and how overall this is going to be a large part of it, but there's going to be at least 2 million manufacturing jobs created within the next decade, by probably by the end of this decade. And that's really exciting for us and for, I think, our customers because the decision is either make product here or do without. And they making make cost more the products, which will drive down demand, but there's always going to be a subset of people, no matter what the product is, who will want it and will pay for it. So overall, 
a lot of good logic behind the trend that we see that manufacturing is strong and has no signs of letting up. Oh, well, that is good to hear. I think that's a common theme that we hear on these calls. And, and when we talk is that things are looking good for manufacturing and hearing a lot about moving from overseas back to the U.S. and see that in the news. So cool stuff and definitely good for our customers, even if it is the electronics industry, not necessarily job shops. I think well, that's the overall trend. If you're manufacturing electronics, there's a lot of capital equipment required to make that happen. And you're seeing the tip of the iceberg in the sense of the electronic components, which means that semiconductor fabs are going up in different parts of the country. And what that means is there's going to be a lot of semiconductor equipment, capital equipment being manufactured. And you have companies like Eaton Semiconductor, Applied Materials, and even some of the European companies who source parts from the U.S. Yeah, so they're probably going to need a lot of materials to to make all this stuff. Isn't that right? That's right. And then you're leading you're leading us into our topic today. But before we get there, I want to drive home my point that I'm always making is if you are a shop owner, raise your prices. At least do A-B testing, meaning with some new customers, maybe raise your price 10%, 20%. It's a new customer. See if they bite. And if they do, you have someone who is used to paying at that higher level. And it's a low risk way to try out my thesis, raise your prices. And pricing is always a supply and demand issue situation. And there is a lot of demand and there is not enough supply to meet it, then that is the opportunity to raise prices. But let's move on to materials because materials are going up in cost. Actually, they may have stabilized now, but they have gone up. And it's important to be able to understand what material pricing is, get that into your system, into your RFQs accurately, and then be able to quote, update your quotes so that if an order comes in, you know what the true material cost is at the time. And hopefully you have the language in your quotes so that you can adjust your pricing if the material cost has gone up enough to affect your profitability. Yeah. And in the context of quoting and paperless parts in general, it's one thing to know and understand and be able to retrieve material costs, but to be able to do that, you know, on a quote by quote or line item by line item basis to understand how much you need, you know, find a price that's right and, and accurate and do that day in and day out is tedious and definitely a lot of upkeep. What I would love to hear is with the customers you're working with, how they are using the automated quoting tools to specifically in materials and how they have adapted from what they used to do. What did they, what did they used to do and how are they doing it now? And what are some of the tricks that you see being put in place? Yeah. So before we get into paperless parts and it's sort of what we have access to there, I think it's important to talk about 
what people are doing before or you know what mm-hmm. what typical shops are doing and paperless parts isn't that much different you know than than what people are doing traditionally if you will it's designed for that and it makes it a whole lot easier and and more fluid so it's not you know it, length width and height are the same thing it's just a whole lot easier to do in paperless but people are are typically doing some sort of calculation whether it be for nesting sheet metal parts or you know figuring out how many parts you can fit on a bar or rod stock for milling or turning parts people are doing spreadsheet calculations doing it you know by hand and also you know using calculators either in their ERP system um, if they're lucky enough or you know online with a tool like online metals which we'll talk more about or some other calculator that that's available on the internet so beyond that people are strategizing material cost in different ways. So you have to figure out kind of what, what you need for material. So what are my requirements? How many, how many parts can I fit on a bar? How many bars do I need to fulfill the job? How many parts can I fit on a sheet, et cetera? Um, Uh But how aggressively are you estimating those requirements? Are you nesting, you know, down to the shape of the part? Are you costing for for blank pricing? Are you buying blanks? Are you buying sheets? So those are all different considerations that are, are taken, but people tend to do sort of the same general thing. And I need to figure out what size material I need, what size stock makes sense, how many pieces of that stock do I need to fulfill the job? And then how much does it cost? You know, and how quick can I get it? Mm-hmm. So let's theoretically let's we have a part you know a milled part and we have to get a bar stock for it let's say we're making 100 of them you know we're going to have our part length we have a cut you know a cut buffer a cut length we lose some material and we saw cut the bar then we have a little bit of buffer between the actual parts geometry and the stock that we're going to mill that part out of we have a bar end you know a holder on our machine or remnant you know for a lathe or something like that that we have to consider as loss as well so your formula is pretty basic it's you know what's all my loss so it's going to be take my part length add my buffer to it and add my saw cut width and subtract the remnant or holding amount, you know, from the length of the the piece of stock, and then divide the remainder by my parts plus buffers length, and you know that that's how many parts I can fit on a bar, and then figure okay how many parts do I need to make, and now you know how many bars you need. Uh, and same thing goes with sheets. If you're going to nest your parts aggressively, it's how many parts can I fit on a sheet. If you have to consider grain direction or something like that, and you're going to nest you know, a rectangular bound, you know, bird's eye bounding box of the part and cut blanks out of it, then that would be, you know, nesting the X and Y of the part on the sheet. So how many parts I fit on a sheet and then how many sheets do I need and what's the drop on that sheet? You know, what's the most efficient size? So it gets a little more intricate with sheet metal in that case, when, you know, at volume, the biggest sheet's not always the the best to go with. We're typically with like, bar stock, I think it is in most cases, unless you're working with a, a, you know, a long part or something like that, where a longer rod is inefficient, but you have to consider what's the most efficient size sheet. So it's not always the biggest sheet. There's a whole lot that you have to do. So I think I, I started to... saying it was simple math, but <laughs> <a lot. laughs> yeah, I want to touch upon a few things and we can, we'll probably jump all around here. 
So hopefully if you're listening, we, we, we want to hit a whole bunch of different topics. And if it's not a straight line, please forgive us. I was thinking one of the benefits of the automated quoting is that you can put in a link to a website so that you know where you got your pricing. So if, if you don't use online metals within paperless, you could go to McMaster car or someone else and their price may change when the order comes in, but at least you have a link to make it so your purchasing person can understand where you got your pricing from if you are not the purchasing person. So I think that that's really powerful is the sort of the accountability of where the pricing is coming from. And sometimes that gets lost when you're just searching online for something quickly and you got to put a number in an ERP system or a spreadsheet. Yeah. When you're plugging numbers into a spreadsheet, there's, you know, the ability to audit that is pretty scarce. So if you're doing it that way, you should definitely keep listening and, and hear how sort of other shops that are using paperless parts and ERP systems are cost and material and, and keeping track of that and funneling it through to their ERP system for sure. Yeah. Another really slick tool, which I think is important because you want to, so, so the tool is paperless now can, and it's specifically developed for sheet metal, although there are applications in machining, but can nest multiple parts on the same sheet. And why that's important is that you don't have to leave your estimating tool to run a nest through another program. So if you are doing production or high mix, low volume, where you've got a bunch of 16th inch aluminum and you've got 10 different parts, let's say quantity 10 each, you can nest those and figure out how to optimize for the number of sheets, which you're trying to win the business if you don't have to charge the customer for extra material that actually isn't needed, you're going to look better. So I think that that's a really slick pool. And is there anything you want to add on the benefits of nesting within the coding software? Definitely. I was recently out at a shop in Texas to take a look at this tool with them. And, you know, the, the thing that I didn't realize because I don't own or operate a shop was this, you know, is going to save people time in terms of communication and and you're not going to have to pull potentially a programmer or an engineer away from what they're doing or to access some software seed or something like that uh, just to nest a job. Is that what they were doing before? Yeah. So literally walking down the hall, you know, shooting an email over with files and then walking down the hall and saying, can you nest these? So just fact also saves a lot of time. Away. Yeah, you don't have to pull someone else away. That's potentially doing a you know a different valuable task is is huge. Um, mm-hmm. So beyond just making it easier all in one place, and those nesting tools are expensive, and you know paperless parts cost less less than those tools typically, and the nesting is only a small component of of what it offers. So uh, yeah. that's the feedback that that I've been getting so far. Well. I always look at the, you want to get the quote out as fast as possible. And if you don't have to leave the pool that you're using, you are saving time and 
fact that considered, but quite true, often the person who's estimating either doesn't have the nesting tools or doesn't have the knowledge and experience to do that themselves, and they have to rely on someone else in the company. One of the ways that I think nesting will be used more in the future in machining is to get to near net shape for the blanks. And are you seeing that at all with customers? In terms of nesting, like different different parts on one bar? Yeah, not, not so much on a bar, but on a sheet because at Rapid, we had two water jets and we would buy, say, two by four sheets of aluminum, four by four sheets of aluminum. And cut out sizes. Like the cross section yeah. of it. Yeah, we would have, say, two inch thick aluminum, 6061 T6, and we would near net shape the parts on the water jet for a couple reasons. One is it takes less time to machine it because you're not machining away the extra material that's there on a rectilinear. To a more efficient length. material utilization too. Yeah, it's more efficient. But the other is, which I came to the conclusion is that if I didn't use near net shape, it meant that there was more time on the machining centers, which is a cost. You get the cost of the running of the machining center as well as your cooling and aluminum, not so much. But if, when you're getting into steels, particularly stainless, it makes a huge difference. But I also thought about, okay, let's say I'm spending making up this number 10% of my time machining away that difference between a rectilinear blank and the near net shape. Well, that means for every 10 machining centers, one of them is going to essentially be devoted to machining away that extra material. And I want my machining centers cutting to geometry, not essentially roughing. So if I can eliminate a lot of the roughing through the near net shape, that's what we did. And I know some of the material suppliers are starting to do that now and want to do that for their customers. It also makes me think of Boston Centerless for the material that they supply that's ground as opposed to the bar stock that you can buy that's not centerless ground. Essentially, if you're buying material from Boston Centerless, you are eliminating that roughing operation. And there's a lot of other benefits when you're turning parts because of the wobble and things like that. But there's so much benefit to getting to as near net shape as possible when you are starting to put your parts in the machining center, put your material into the machining center. Any thoughts on what I just put out there? Yeah, that's, I, I think I pick up what you're putting down. Now. I didn't at first, but the near net shape thing is about almost nesting like a top-down shadow of a machined part onto mm -hmm. thicker sheet stock or plate stock. And then you're going to water jet out that top-down profile and then mill the rest. Yeah, what you can, you water jet is certainly one way. You could even bandsaw with the aluminum it's it's much cruder but it works plasma cut there's different ways of of doing it and probably the best way is get your material supplier to do it you pay a little bit more for the material but you have all that savings in time machine time 
Yeah, nope. and it, it goes beyond that too. If you wanted to start talking about angle stock or structural material now, tube stock, angle stock, and stocks like that, where you want to nest your part across that or within that, or if you're building like a weldman and you have several different like components within that that are all made out of the same size tube, you want to you want to nest mm. across that. And then if they have like 45 degree cuts, how can we make those? fit yeah. most efficiently and so there's a whole lot to think about what are some of the different ways that you see material prices being gathered from the internet or how do people find the material pricing and what are better ways perhaps to do it so there's a few i guess there's two sort of types of customers that i see gathering material pricing and it's shops that have ERP systems and maintain pretty up-to-date and, and thorough material inventory databases. And they have a purchasing department that keeps up with that well. Um, and there's a smaller organization that might not have, you know, that ERP system or that team that keeps up with it and might not have you know, strong relationships with a material provider that they're able to get access to that information, you know, ahead of time in, in tableized formats and such. So they're, you know, referencing, they're getting a quote every time. So there's sort of people who have to go on, you know, online metals or a tool like that, or a provider like that, that has pricing online, or actually send an RFQ or make the phone call to get availability and pricing for material stock versus the first type of shop I talked about that has the ERP system. They're purchasing a lot of material day in and day out. They have a relationship with their vendor. So they have a lot of data on material pricing that's up to date and they're maintaining that. And they also have a large inventory as well that they have in their shop of common materials that they buy. So chances are sometimes when they're estimating a job, they've already bought the material. So they they don't have to estimate the price. They have to estimate the requirement. It makes me think of when the material prices were fluctuating so much, it's almost like the gas stations that when gas prices are moving all over the place, you, it, it, if you bought the material at a lower price, good for you. It's a decision. Do you now sell it at the market value or do you sell it at the price you bought? And conversely, if you have material on the shelf that you bought towards the peak of a price and prices have gone down 10%, 20% now, what price do you use and how do you know what the price is on the shelf? Yeah. I mean, you're probably going to have to use the, the going rate to compete, right? Well, it, I think you need to make a decision one way or the other and stick to that because if you are Charging the market price when you paid a lower price, that's great. You're going to make some extra money. But if you are then trying to charge what you paid and the price is lower, you may not win the business and you are leaving orders on the table because you are trying to make money or at least protect yourself in one way and make a lot of money on the other way. Yeah. And now you're stuck with the material. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is you, the, the increase in price when you're selling it at market, it offsets the decrease in price when you are selling at market and you pay a little more. One of the ways that I think is slick is the 
automated way that you can get pricing from online metals and how that is integrated into the automated quoting? How, how does that work? Yeah. So when quoting in paperless parts, if you're quoting a machined or a sheet metal part, you know, you're going to load in a CAD model, ideally, or potentially a PDF. And that CAD model is going to have some properties about it. And that PDF will too, in the event you're using a PDF, just less of them, or, you know, you, you'll have to enter them by hand. But when working with a CAD model, you know, you're going to have the volume of that model, you're going to have the bounding box dimensions, the X, Y, and Z dimensions of the part, and you're going to tell it, you know, tell the system what type of material that you're, you're quoting. Um, and from there, we're sort of behind the scenes already making a suggestion on material. Oh, and I forgot to say, you're going to, you're going to tell us what quantity breaks you're quoting. Are you quoting 110, 100, 1,000 pieces? Um, uh -huh. So from there, we're going to already start trying to suggest some material to you. So we're hooked into online metals API. We've got access to their available inventory. And, you know, we know the dimensions of your part. We know how many parts you're making. We use industry standards for the factors I was talking about earlier, like part buffer, part to part buffer and cut width, you know, and bar holding length, I think 10 inches or eight inches is the standard that we assume which you could adjust. But with those variables, we're going to online metals API and saying, okay, what's the best size stock probably to get this job done in terms of utilization and, and cost? And how many of those do we need to fulfill the quantity or quantities in the event you're quoting several different quantity breaks? And mm -hmm. at each quantity break, those suggestions might be different. So if you're quoting one, you probably don't need to 144 inch bar, but you're quoting a thousand, that's probably going to be the best length. And we're going to tell you exactly what the cost you know, for that stock is and what the unit cost works out to. And you can quickly just engage that cost into your quote. You can have you know, your own standard markup apply to it and, and keep moving through. You know, Check your cycle times, any other operations, finishing costs that you have to assign uh, and, and just move on and, and send the quote out. And it's I think an effective strategy, especially for, you know, the sake of being fast. I mean, if you're working with pretty basic materials that you know you can get, because if you use that cost, you're going to be covered. Typically, if you have a relationship for that type of shop I was just talking about earlier, you're going to be able to get maybe a better cost or a better price on that material. So you, you know you're covered in that department, at least. And, it, yeah. and if you can't, and in today's market, and things are changing when you do win the job, then, you know, you've had you know, some padding in there and, and hopefully you didn't get hurt too bad on winning the order. Yeah, we used online metals a lot at Rapid. And what I always liked about them is you, if you could get a quote, you knew they had it in stock and you knew you could get it next day if you needed to, and if you wanted to pay the shipping cost. So they were incredibly easy, reliable supplier to work with. And I like how, it's integrated now into our quoting tool and there's different ways you can look at their price. Uh, sometimes their price is higher than where you can get it elsewhere. And typically the higher quantities, you, you probably wouldn't buy from them, but they are a great source for the, the smaller quantities. And that's sort of where they cut their teeth. So you can adjust your quoting algorithms to take into account. Maybe you 
have a discount to the online metals price because you know that you're going to be able to buy it for a little less expensive. And on the flip side, if you get back into making sure you're marking up your material correctly, whatever your margin is that you're shooting for as a shop, if you want 15% EBITDA, 20% EBITDA, 10% EBITDA, you better be marking your material up by at least the percentage that will get you to your desired profitability. And it's not all profit because there is the cost of processing orders, receiving parts, paying for the material. There, there's definitely hard costs in there. So where I'm going with that is your markup, even if you end up buying from online metals and you quoted a little bit less, your markup should protect you. So at least you don't lose money on the material. The other is, have you, I mentioned before, having language in your quotes to protect you on material price increases, because I know we were seeing quotes that were valid for uh, what, as low as a couple days when material prices were, were zooming up. And certainly people who would hold quotes for 30 days were holding them for only a week. It was that dramatic of a quote validity date because of the rapid changes and fluctuations in material prices. Do you recall any specific language that you're seeing customers put into their quotes to protect themselves? Absolutely. And it's, it's not even just language. It's I'll plug a paperless parts feature. It's technology that they're putting into their quotes to protect mm -hmm. themselves, but yes, accompanied by language. So, you know, you see the asterisk or the red font in the email templates that says, you know, quote is subject to change if X, Y, Z occurs. So if, you know, this fluctuation in price of material occurs or quote is only valid until this date mm -hmm. or terms about working out material costs independent of you know, the, the labor and machining costs and all that. Yes. Uh, I've even seen a lot of like customer supplied material jobs going on where the shop doesn't have anything to do with the material and they're just doing the manufacturing or machining. So all of that was definitely newer to me or more something I heard more of in the last six months or so with shops. But what I was saying about the technology and the quotes is our quote expiration function. So you're, you're sending an electronic quote out to your customer and you can set a validity date on that. So the quote will no longer be valid and the customer won't have the ability to check out and send you their purchase order beyond that date. So we had a lot of people asking us how to toggle that date and mm. they, they weren't extending it. They were, you know, the default say they had default, like you said, of 30 days beyond the quote send date where mm -hmm. they're going to expire their quotes. They were asking how to change it. And then they were, I was checking and they're changing it to, to less than that. So one of the pieces of feedback that we're getting from online metals as a partner is that there is a lot of use by paperless parts customers, a lot of click-throughs for material pricing, as well as a smaller percentage or, or ordering parts. But this is a tool that's being used quite a bit. And by users who are, it, it's a re repeat tool for them. It's become a standard way for them to 
generate their material pricing. So I would encourage someone who has not tried the tool, use it a few times, try to understand why some estimators are making it a large part of the way they gather material pricing, if not the primary way they gather material pricing and figure out how you might be able to adapt it for your own organization, because this is definitely a tool that is being used. Yeah, I think I have an idea as to why they're using it, but it has to do. Shoot, go ahead. Yeah, it's because it, it makes their life easier. It saves them time and you know, it works. It's pretty, pretty seamless tool. I've used it dozens of times or way more than dozens of times, but walk through it with a whole bunch of people. And every time it's, oh, wow, I didn't know that was there. Wow, that's useful. And yeah, I didn't know either, I guess, how prominent the use was or how you know habitual people people were with using that. So pretty cool. We didn't even mention like the visualization aspect of it for both the sheet metal nesting and for the, you know, the machining nesting, if you will, the, the bar stock and rod stock nesting. Mm -hmm. uh, the visualization you get is awesome. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I like to demonstrate it, like say you nest, you know, 100 units on a, a rod stock and you need mm -hmm. four, four rods. It will show you the four rods in the part viewer. It'll show you, you know, in green, all your blanks in red, all your cut loss, you know, in purple, your remnant or bar holding loss, hmm. and then the excess material and what's left over, et cetera. So it's, it's pretty cool. Can you save a screenshot of that in your quote or is it automatically attached? Yeah, for the, that will be attached there and you can kind of just rerun it at, repop it open at any time, but yeah, you can screenshot it. You can tag a teammate and in the internal chat to look at it, you can even tag externally to look at it. You know, perhaps your customer requested 50 units and you want to tag them and say, actually look at how much more efficiently 80 units fits on the sheet that you're already paying. You know, do you have a use for 80 or something like that? You can, you can do it that way. So you just gave me an idea for our next podcast, Jeff, we're going to talk about how you can integrate scrap or set up pieces into your pricing. Well, we, the yield function, we got the yield function. We didn't even get into that when you're yes, well, that, that's, that's our next, that's our next podcast because I forgot to mention that, on the parameters, the yield will factor in. So let's say you have, you know, a percent of loss will factor in that many percent more parts for the material you need all behind the scenes so that you don't have to do that yourself. I want to have us talk a lot about this in another specific so because that was something that I had a lot of fun putting in place at Rapid. And it's one of those silent sucks out of a your profitability. And it's hard to implement. But we'll we'll save that for another day. It's a teaser for you if you're listening to look for that episode coming up. Any last thoughts on material before we sign off today, Jeff? No, I mean, I've now now I want to get going on the yield and and how all that works, but I guess we'll save that for another day and and the markups too. We didn't even talk about cost contribution, like what percent of you know your your job is material cost versus machining versus labor, which we've talked about in the past, but how you can factor all of that into you know costing and pricing. We talked about material costing, but you got to mark it up too, which is is important. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, good to squeeze the juice out of the orange on this one. And good to see you again. Good to see for you as well. For the listener, 
I hope we added some value in the way that you think about how to manipulate material pricing in your quotes, how to perhaps make it a little more accurate and faster. Until next time, keep those lasers cutting and those spindles turning. Have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.